Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. You are listening to Triple R here on 102.7 FM. My name is Leah Avene. Thank you so much to Vaughan for the last uh, couple of hours um, for the tunes. I did boogie in uh, preparation when I came in to the studio today. I am here uh, in East Brunswick um, on Coolin land um, and I always like to begin the show by uh, where we are or where I am currently. And in my language, Tavaloan, we say, which translates to, I bow my head to this land and the people of this land. And I extend that to uh, First Peoples, First Nations communities, Indigenous folk right across this continent uh, and the Torres Strait Islands. Um, if you know any of the any of the kind of shows that I do here on Triple R, I am a therapist sort of, and um, a lot of my work centres around how we recover from settler colonialism, how we recover from our conditioning into systems that we don't necessarily consent to, and how land is central in our recovery for all of us if we reimagine attachment, starting with secure attachment with land, and so um, yeah, I start the show here. Uh, where I am in this somber week, um, in a big week leading up to the 26th on Friday. It is um, often a reflective week um, and I'm so excited and humbled and looking forward to talking all about land and all about uh, recovery and all about what it means to be a community looking toward the future together. And so on that, I would like to introduce the extraordinary poet, um, writer, uh, facilitator. Uh, I would call you a healer. I'm not sure if that's a fair title for you. Um, there are many things that I could say about Laniuk, uh, but what I always like to do is invite people to introduce themselves how they like to be known. So... Not too much pressure. I can ask follow-up questions. But Laniok, how would you, for the in the context of our conversation today, um, how would what do you what would you like listeners to know about you? My name is Laniok, and I'm really grateful to hold this name because it actually locates me um, with land, my my name is actually a, an area of land on my grandmother's country, Kungarakan country, so it it's almost like a drop pin, um, and positions me and locates me within this world, and I feel really, really blessed to have that name, to have that um, that internal, external navigation, that ability to be um, introduced. I land first every single time. And so I'm really grateful to hold the name Laniok. So um, I'm Latakia Kungarakan Gurindji in French. So Latakia is uh, in the north. Darwin City is located on my grandfather's country, Latakia country. And then the neighbouring country is Kungarakan. That's um, freshwater. 
and then Gurunji in the desert, which I, I always reflect on as a really beautiful balance. I feel like I get the best of everything, you know. I've got beautiful salt water, I've got that, you know, gorgeous flowing fresh water, and then I've got the open desert as well. So I think it brings a, a lot of balance to my life. Mm. Yeah, I love thank you so much for introducing yourself in that way. And I, uh, I mentioned Tuvalu, one of my lands, I'm, my bloodlines are Tuvaluan and Irish. And one of the beautiful ways I, I like to think about conversation or, is lands speaking across to each other. And so in a way, this is a broadcaster and a poet and activist having a chat about a bunch of things. And in another way, it is my ocean and island and your lands and desert and waters speaking through our bodies to each other about this big question we have about what we do um, with this precious land and planet that we have. So um, I think I want to I start by uh, inviting you to speak maybe about what you do in the world um, in, in the context of land. Maybe we'll stay with the land, but <laughs> how, does, how, do these, how does this land speak through you in the way that you do your life? oh my gosh I feel my land speaking to me every minute of the day um calling me home and calling me to the responsibility that I have to that land and the the list of responsibilities are so long you know the responsibility to protect that land the responsibility to to uphold its law, uphold its culture, you know, to care for our children. Um, it, it, I, it's just a constant, I can feel myself tearing up yeah. <laughs> thinking about it because it, is, because it is, it's this constant calling um, and this constant longing and this constant drive to make sure that every single thing that I do is to protect and uphold the laws of my land. And that's a lot of responsibility and brings a lot of complication when we're also surviving under systems of capitalism, colonialism, white supremacy. You know, every day we're, we're sort of faced with this impossible task and that this, this balance of survival and resistance and always having to have that way up of, you know, what path or what, what tools do I have available to me in this moment to survive and resist simultaneously? And sometimes that can be really difficult. Mm. Yeah, I um, I notice myself tearing up as well, and it's a beautiful thing. And thank you for naming it because it's wild to me how I feel a bit embarrassed by how moved I am by land, and how obsessed with it I am, and how much I talk about it. Um, and it's odd to me that something so natural and such a huge yearning in nearly every human I've ever met is not spoken of more openly. So. Yeah, thank you for bringing your tears. Mine are very close <laughs> to me. Um, so I know you as a poet. Mm. That's how I came to know your work. Um, and I don't even know when I met you. I feel I like I've no, I know you from everywhere. Yep. Um, but, yeah, can you tell and, – and what I'll say about poetry and why I call poets and healers kind of – I put them in the same category is there's, extra, there's this extraordinary um, – Dion Brand quote where she says that the reader interrogates narrative but poetry interrogates the reader mm. and your poetry has always stirred me in ways that have never stopped stirring so I'm wondering if you can say a bit about your 
you as a poet or how you come into that work? That, you know, what, what sort of came to my mind is that, you know, um, through a colonial understanding, my resume is pretty bleak. I graduated from high school. I spent a lot of time cleaning dishes and hospitality. If we're going by the standards of success measured by the colony, I'm pretty low on the rung. If we were to look at the resume of my spirit and the resume of my ancestry, I have inherited skills and qualities to survive this moment and to continue resisting the colony that could never be written down on paper. Both of my grandmothers um, were poets, um, I come from a long, long line of resistors and truth tellers and artists and people that have, from a, you know, from families that speak directly to the heart, directly to the problem that are hard line on the side of justice, and that doesn't come across on a colonial resume, but it is written, engraved forever on my spirit, and I think that I, I do the best that I can to hold those qualifications and to hold my responsibility in my art practice and in my poetry and to really tap into the power of what my ancestors have given me. And I sometimes sit back and think, oh, my God, I've been given so much. They've given me so much to work with. And again, from, you know, a colonial perspective, from the outside looking in, you know, not tertiary educated, grew up in public housing. I don't have <laughs> a dollar to my name, really, you know. Um, so perhaps by those measurements, I would be categorised as quite poor. But I know that my spirit is very wealthy, that it has been given everything um, that my ancestors could, could give to survive this moment, to resist this moment and to uphold the spirit and law of my land. And so I really try to bring that um, to, my, to my poetry and to my art practice. Mm. It's so interesting how, you know, I, I suppose we're speaking across two paradigms, at least two that I'm aware of, and one is the land, you know, and I, I, I use the word indigenous because in Latin it means sprung forth from the land and I, I identify with that and I also know that, you know, other people do not like being referred to as flora and fauna. So just to name the many different ways that, you know, we use the English language, which is never adequate in capturing, you know, what the land, what we do with the land and what the land requires of us. But from an Indigenous um, paradigm, I really recognise that in you. I remember one of the first times I saw you recite poetry. You introduced a poem by talking about your process and you said that you don't you don't write poetry without the permission of the land and, and of your family. And as soon as you said that, I was, like, I was just hooked because I knew that you were writing poetry from a different place, or that's what it felt like to me. And as a, I, I like to be a context talking to other contexts, and I think that, you know, under colonialism we're often forced to speak as individuals or as fragments. And so once you shared your context I was like oh wow I could feel feel how strong I felt so um yeah I feel like I really understand something about that and I see you as extraordinarily wealthy (laughs) thank you (laughs) and I also think a lot about um you know people talk about privilege a lot and they talk about the redistribution of wealth 
And I often, and they think that it's white people giving money to everybody that doesn't have it. And I actually see it as a collaboration reciprocally so that that, um, resources get redistributed in both paradigms. So the material resources that are hoarded by certain classes under colonialism, they're redistributed at the same time through respectful collaboration that everybody else is redistributing the knowledge, the resistance strategies, the how to get free, you know, which communities outside of the dominant norm know so much about, especially First Peoples. So um, I wanted to ask you, we're going to start talking about some of that collaboration, especially through resistance and, and protecting land, but I wanted to stay with your family for a little bit longer. Um, we're going to take a listen to a track from your auntie and I was wondering if you could, yeah, introduce us to the land or the story that goes with this for you. Are we playing Motherland first? Yeah. Amazing. Let's, let's do that. Um, so my Auntie June oh, is just a beacon of light to me, honestly. <laughs> she is an incredible – she is a powerhouse. She is – everything and more. She is an artist. She is a musician. Um, she is, how you know, she is just the, the voice of, of country, honestly. She speaks with such power and she defends our lands and our children and our culture with, with everything in her being. Um, and she's definitely someone that I return to um, in my art practice to make sure that I am, you know, standing in line and, and moving on the right path um, towards the liberation of our lands. And so this um, song, Motherland, I had the good fortune to be in Darwin recently um, doing some filming for a project and I was able to get my Annie June and my Annie Ali in a room um, recording the song I got it on film we got beautiful sound and we're hoping to to use it soon through a number of different mediums but hopefully in a a documentary which we'll talk about in a little bit um and it was such a powerful moment and there's nothing in this world that makes me happier than listening to my aunties well it makes me very happy as well so please uh, thank you so much for bringing them in you're on triple r my name is leah and We are chatting with Laniuk today and we're listening to Motherland by June Mills. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. You're listening to Triple R with me, Leah Avene. I'm hanging out with you till eight tonight Uh, during the summer programming. You might be um, used to hearing uh, Daniel James in this spot on the mission. Very iconic and I really hope everyone's enjoying their summer break. I'm lucky enough to be in here today listening to music and speaking from land to land about land with Laniuk who's... Uh, who brought in the beautiful track we just heard, Motherland, by her auntie June Mills. And just before we took a listen to that, you mentioned working with your aunties and working on uh, uh, filming and stories. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what you've got cooking and what what you're working on with your family. I think we've known each other a while now, Leah, and I think um, 
you probably know that I am a bit audacious and, you know, really like to bite off more than I can do. Um, and, you know, I just seem to learn through the process, you know, like I said earlier, you know, no tertiary education, but really just, you know, learning on the ground, in the work, in the mud, um, doing the best that I can. And so my latest project is I've decided I'm going to make a documentary. Brilliant. Super chill. <laughs> You know, it should be easy, you know, maybe there's a step-by-step on Google or something for me, but I have, I've decided that I'm going to make a documentary. And part of that, or the really the driving reason behind making this documentary is to protect an area of land on my grandfather's country, Latakia country, um, where Darwin City is located. Um, and what I'm hoping to do, what I will be doing, is to really capture the process of land protection um, and the the work that Latakia people are doing to defend our land, to uphold our law, to protect our culture for our children and for the future of our lands. Um, and so I was recently in Darwin um, doing a number of interviews with different Latakia people, talking about Lee Point, talking about how precious and important it is to us to spread the word and to make sure that people are across what's happening. And in that moment, um, we managed to film Motherland um, with Annie June and Annie Alley singing it. And it was a really beautiful, special moment. And I think that's it, – it's really interesting, you know, because sometimes I'm like, what have I done? Like I've really just <laughs> thrown myself in the deep end. <laughs> no, one, no one asked me to do this and here I am, you know. Um, well, that I was about to ask you. Mm. I was about to interrupt and go – isn't it funny because you said you were talking about how you're so audacious and you're talking about who asked me to do this. And I often think, wait a second, am I audacious or are my ancestors audacious? Mm. Who stirred this? Yes. <laughs> Did absolutely. I stir this? <laughs> so I'm wondering about, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, I, I, um, I hear not to diminish the load to be carried when one takes on a project like making a film <laughs> about something that's, you know, really close to home, mm. really close to the heart and also urgent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so how does one go about making a film um, for the very first time ever? And what's this journey been like so far? I think that, you know, the <clears throat> the space and time that we're in at the moment as um, as Indigenous people um, and as a, a global population, really, you know, these times require bravery and these times require diving into the deep end sometimes with a little bit of this has to be done, big steps need to be made um, and, you know, you sort of cat, catch yourself in... in moments of sort of being like what, what have I done or you know this is really hard or I've, I've bitten off more than I can chew and then there's also just really beautiful moments that you get to experience that that enrich in your understanding of self that enrich in your politic that enrich in your vision um, that deepen your relationships you know those big steps and that those moments of bravery also have big rewards there's big risk and there's big reward um and so in in doing all of this, I was lucky enough to do an impact lab um, through um, Garawa and Doc Society who, who put on a First Nations, um, I guess sort of like social justice campaigning through media and documentary 
so we we did that course over three days just a couple of I think three months ago you know and I had gone on really with just the focus of doing social media content because that's what I have available to me I've got a phone I've got an Instagram account I'll film some interviews and I'll chuck it onto the gram fingers crossed here we go then I get to the impact lab and we watched this incredible documentary about um, some indigenous tribes in the Amazon, actually. And that was a real moment for me when I was able to see the power of documentary in a mode of storytelling and how much it can draw you into someone else's world, someone else's power. And I realized the how, how useful documentary storytelling can be um, in evoking emotion and sharing information simultaneously. So then from there, I, um, I, you know, I think there's something really useful about being naive, you know, about how big a project is because you end up doing things that you probably wouldn't have done if you'd known how big a task it is. And so I was so naive. I was like, I'll just, well, I'm filming interviews anyway, you know, I'll just chop it all together and I've got a documentary, you know, not knowing, not knowing that there's a difference in the size, you know, for, for posting something on social media, you know, not knowing the difference of, you know, how you convey information on social media versus a documentary, you know, and so I've really, <laughs> I'm lucky to be surrounded um, by an incredible team of people that are supporting this and backing this. And I'm, I'm lucky to, at the generosity um, in our community. And also, you know, the the felt responsibility that people have to land protection as well. Mm. Um, and so it's really it's really turning into a group effort, um, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> I love what you said. <laughs> I love I love that and I really relate. That's how I learned things. I did things that I if I'd known better I shouldn't have done. <laughs> and then I kind of muddled my way through. Um, yeah, I I was gonna I was thinking as you were saying, you know, it's sort of like a jumping into the deep end and I often think about you know what you referred to earlier about surviving and also thriving like how do we maintain how do we survive and I think that requires of us being both weapon and medicine um, and so sharpening the weapon and making the medicine more potent kind of inevitably happens as we move through these like learning journeys <laughs> biting off more than we can chew or sometimes it's the exact right amount for what we needed to learn you know um yeah, so I'm wondering what what how to ask this question. I think a lot of people or I notice a lot of people go, I'm going to be a musician or I'm going to be a filmmaker, I'm going to be a writer. What should I write about? Whereas something that I notice a lot in the Indigenous space is people go, this story must be told. Oh, dear, I guess I better become a filmmaker, a writer, a screenplay, <laughs> you know. Yep. And for me, that feels so grounded because the clarity of purpose is there and then it's just like there is an inevitability to it or the way that Michelangelo talks about, you know, David was there in the marble. I just moved the superfluous material. You know, there is something pulling you towards it or that's what it feels like, you know, when we're doing storytelling in this way. So, yeah, what is it? What what is that thing that brings everyone together? What's at the centre of this and how has that worked, you know, as you negotiate community, telling the story, you know, social media platforms, output here, here? 
yeah, what do you have to say about that process? I don't know if that's a good <laughs> good question or a jumble of words, but yeah, that's really interesting. You know, just to um, be one of those for a second, I have a lot of Scorpio in my chart, <laughs> a lot of Scorpio, and I really don't like being perceived. I really don't like. <laughs> I really don't like being on social media. I really don't like seeing photos or videos of myself. Like it just, it's really not for me. Um, And so I catch myself in moments, you know, of fear, of jumping off into the deep end and your midair being like, what have I done? And I catch myself being like, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be in this video. Like I don't want to do this. And, you know, there's definitely been moments across this project where, you know, I have had really hard sort of moments where I'm like, am I really going to do this? And before you can even get to that question of perhaps I shouldn't have done this, you're met with the 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 reality that there's no other option. We're talking about land here. We're, we're talking about the desecration of sacred places. We're talking about the continuation of language and culture and to... and the survival, the literal survival of this planet, of these spirits, of these animals, of us as people, there's, there is no alternative to this path. There is no alternative to what I have to do. And if I am human, I get scared, I get embarrassed, I get awkward. And there is also no other path that I can walk but the path of liberation for my lands and people and languages and spirit. And so I think at the heart of, of this is a sacred responsibility that we as Latakia people have to this area, to this story, and also, you know, the responsibility to share that responsibility with others and say... This land needs to be protected. We need you to come forward and protect this land as well. Um, so at the moment in Darwin, which is experiencing an unprecedented level of expansion, the the colony is investing so much in Darwin at the moment. You know, it's heartbreaking to go home and see bush torn down, fences up, you know, knowing that our land is on the other side of this fence and we can't be with it. You know, it's a heartbreaking experience to be on your land and to have such clear blockages between you and your culture, you and your family, you know, you and the, and the, and the, you and yourself, really. The colony is impacting our ability to be with ourselves and, at the moment, Defence Housing Australia um, is about to demolish um, an area of land called Lee Point. They're looking to build 800 houses. And every time I drive past this area, I'm thinking, how are you going to fit 800 houses on this land? And it's heartbreaking to even imagine what this landscape will look like when they, ha- will, when they are planning on bulldozing this beautiful old growth forest I know that every indigenous person will say this we are all biased but my land is the most beautiful place (laughs) on the planet no one can tell me otherwise this this bush this beach this landscape is 
is my heart and my soul and to imagine that these that this that the northern territory government that defense housing australia you know that these these private buyers could demolish something so whole so whole so beautiful so expansive so loving our land is so loving and that you would destroy that to line your pocket with money to line your pocket with your own personal idea of wealth when there is wealth and love sitting right in front of you and you want to hoard and destroy it's heartbreaking and it's heartbreaking to watch and it's heartbreaking to imagine and so you know as Latakia people it is our embodied spiritual responsibility to protect that land at all at all costs and along that land along that area is sacred stories dreaming connection for Latakia people and as we're watching Darwin City expand there's this real tight anxiety of where 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 can we be if this is all taken from us and so I think it's also a really crucial moment for Darwin itself to really stop and to understand who is this city being built for because these houses unaffordable you know the 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 defense personnel will be prioritizing this decision it's not for the people of Darwin it's at the expense of Latakia culture language future and it's you know it takes so much away and gives so little Mm. Mm. yeah I really relate to what you're saying about to take something so significant away, to try to be significant in this really violent way. And one of the tragedies that I observe in non-Indigenous people or settlers who are very wedded to the processes of colonialism is this idea that we have to make ourselves significant in this one short life and that we have to do that by having more power than other people and that and what, when, what you just said reminded me of how devastating it is that people work so hard, so violently. It takes a lot to maintain invasion. It's a lot of energy to maintain this invasion that is on all of these lands. And so all of that gets done. And at the end of the day, you know, we hear so many, you know, research articles and, you know, projects asking people at the end of their life what they wanted more of. And it's almost always love, family, children, connection, land, space, time, you know. And so, yeah, just closing that loop of like you already were significant. The land was right here. It was available to you. Yeah, I don't know. I just noticed my tears coming up and, yeah, just the devastation of, of these two worlds misunderstanding. Well, one, one, you know, not the misunderstanding. There is an intentional devastation that comes with colonialism. But I do think that a lot of, without making any excuses, a lot of the humans swept up in that. There is a misunderstanding there because I think that hunger for significance was there all along under their feet. I don't know if that makes sense to you. <laughs> colonialism is a theft. It's a it's a a spiritual theft for everyone, for everybody that is that is trying to survive under these systems. It is stealing. It's stealing spiritual purpose from us, 
and spiritual belonging and connection, connection to each other, connection to land, connection to water. And what an incredible gift this planet has given us. It, it gave to us without asking for anything in return. It just wanted us to, to be and to love and to be in relationship and the wealth that this beautiful planet has given us. It's devastating to be at this point of this story. And I suppose, you know, in, in, in part of this is also a, a reminder to ourselves as well that, you know, these efforts that we are doing in our personal lives are part of a longer legacy of resistance. And, you know, we, we do the absolute best that we can. We fight as hard as we can. We, you know, protect as much as we can. We tell as many of our stories, you know, knowing that this, this pathway, this path of resistance, this path of regeneration is long lived. And what we do today builds tomorrow and we just have to move with faith and love and maintaining that grounded dedication to our lens and to our people um, because this work is really hard and it's really confronting and it's, you know, we are human, mm. you know. Mm. And it's a lot. A lot of people feel a lot, a lot of overwhelm when we even have these conversations or even saying unceded land, you know. That's a lot for people to, to um, come to terms with. I would love to revisit... Um, your family and um, we're talking about land and we're talking about the intergenerational kind of endurance also of strength coming down that bloodline those bloodlines coming up from the land and we've got another track to play here from uh june mills um tell us a little bit about sweet child of mine before we take a listen my auntie wrote this beautiful um song telling the story of our our family of her grandmother who was stolen um and before before her grandmother was stolen her mother said to her said to this tiny little three-year-old this one word over and over and over and over and over again and so when she grew up and she was able to leave and she was able to return to the last location on her on on her documents trying to find her way home you know she met these you know met other black fellas and said look I don't know who I am I don't know where I come from all I have is this word and they said oh that's your skin name if that's your skin name that means that you come from this area you should go in that direction and so then got to that location and said look I don't know anything all I have is my skin name and they said oh well if that's your skin name that means you need to be over there and she just followed the path of this ancient name of kinship and location and found her way home to her family after being stolen. And this is the the story, sweet child of mine. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. 
And we're back uh, on Triple R on this summer programming. It's always such a joy to come through and chat away uh, about all sorts of things. Um, usually, it, it's almost always um, Indigenous uh, arts, land, justice, healing. I don't think I ever stray very far away from those um, themes, but it is such a joy to talk about all of them at once with you this evening, Laniuk, because I think we, I, I was just making notes off air because I was saying that when I speak with you, I, I, I find this with a few folk who are storytellers, I feel like my whole self is called to listen to you. So more of me than usual when people are speaking from a linear, you know, singular place. So it's such a joy to be here with you and I will struggle to, um, like, I don't know, go off air at 8 o'clock, someone will have to drag us out here, (laughs) out of here. (laughs) But we've been chatting about everything and um, we were just mentioning before we listened to that track that uh, um, there is a campaign that is starting today and that is ongoing. So what we're talking about is not an event or a product, we're talking about a process and others can be involved in this process. It's a collaboration globally, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, um, tell us a little bit about what started today. Well, I guess to talk about today, we'll also need to talk about, I suppose, where the journey began for me, oh, God, about six to nine months ago, you know, I was watching... um, the the resistance to defence housing, um, Australia building um, these eight hundred houses on beautiful old growth bush, you know, in the heart of Darwin, um, and I was just sort of watching it from my phone, sit, living in Melbourne, feeling really um, distant and really hopeless, and wishing that I could do more. And then, thankfully, the the work that was being done um, stopped the bulldozing of that area um, and sort of forced Defence Housing Australia to get some paperwork in order. There had been some technicalities that they had to fix up and they said, okay, 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 we won't go any further until March 31st, which, you know, is just really putting pause on the problem and really not coming with any solid solutions. So they're getting their affairs in order, they're getting their paperwork in order and they are set to bring those bulldozers back to that land March 31st. And so I thought this isn't the time to rest, this is the time to get organised. And so um, in this period it's been a really (laughs) quick response process of finding a videographer, you know, sitting down and doing interviews, editing, getting, you know, getting these stories out, consulting with elders, speaking to young Latakia people, really trying our best to get organised and build momentum for that March 31st deadline. Um, There's so many ways that people can be involved in this campaign. If you've got an Instagram account, you can hop on to my handle, at L-A-N-I-Y-U-K. From there, you'll be able to keep... um, keep tabs on the posts that we're, we're sharing, the interviews, the voices of Latakia people, the voices of young Latakia people, the voices of our Latakia elders who are talking about how significant that land is, how important it is that we, we protect it. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I mean, how, how significant it is that we protect this land and all land, really, um, for everyone. 
we are, I'm, oh my gosh, I'm so excited and so thankful to be working with my Auntie June again, <laughs> light of my life. Um, she's such an incredible artist. She makes these incredible screen prints. She makes these incredible murals. And so I've been working with her and other young Latakia people in designing t-shirts. We're getting pre- um, prepared to really just spread the message as much as we can across Darwin and really across the continent to send a very clear message to Defence Housing Australia and the Northern Territory government that we won't allow this. It's unacceptable. Um, we need to protect that land as much as we can and, you know, ultimately the protect land across the continent. But the Northern Territory at the moment is in a really dire state. You know, there's fracking, um, you know, that's been that the government's been pushing for for years now. You know, we've seen recently what happened um, in the Tiwi Islands. You know, they're passing gas, you know, mining, like fracking. It's just constant. And the Northern Territory is in a really dire situation. And so I think I think Lee Point represents something a lot greater mm. as well mm. than, you know, the Northern Territory government Defence Housing Australia might just say, it's just this little pocket of land, it's just this little slice. Mm. But every little bit is building up to something so much larger, which is a desecration of of sacred land, a desecration of sacred culture and a huge loss of culture and land that you will never find anywhere else on this planet. And so I think it's a really significant time for all people and for the people of Darwin, for the people of Northern Territory, for the people of this continent, for the people across this world to really be interrogating what the colonial project is and what is being built and what is being taken away from all of us in this process. So hop on Instagram at Laniuk, L-A-N-I-Y-U-K. Keep an eye out for these videos, you know, share the stories and the voices of Latakia people. We've got some T-shirts coming out. We're working towards the March 31st deadline um, to deliver a petition that you'll be able to find on my my Instagram as well um, and to just promote and platform these voices as much as we can and, you know, at the end of the day to stop these bulldozers. Mm. As you're speaking, I'm thinking about the experience of people, you know, for me... I talk a lot about bridge people and I learnt this um, term from Jeremy Dutcher who's an extraordinary, uh, I, I think his people, um, his language is Wallistigwe and he's part of the Tobiat Nations in, in so-called Canada. And so he um, taught me this phrase about bridge people and as soon as uh, they said it I really, I, I recognised myself. And I think about the importance of bridging between generations from the young people to the elders. I think about the importance of bridging across communities and across even um, experiences within communities uh, because the way that uh, colonialism fragments us from ourselves, like you said before, it's such an unnatural imposition of a boundary that's not there. (laughs) You know, the fences up, you know, there's a violence in fences or even in believing that our brain and our body is not connected or that our brain is somehow superior to our body. So I often think about the experiences of people who are non-Indigenous. I think about especially in a week like this when, um, you know, every year um, it changes, thank goodness, but, you know, we're having these really um, tired conversations about January 26. We're having, you know, big conversations globally about settler colonialism and, and survival and climate change. And I think, I suspect a lot of people really want to do more and they don't know how or they don't know how to engage or it's just they don't maybe have very many like Aboriginal First Nations friends or 
you know, it's like there might be a get up campaign or the yes campaign or something that's kind of easy to follow. But as far as relating across, it feels so important that there are bridge people, right? Because it's not appropriate for everyone to go and speak to everyone in your community, but it is for you. And then you speak out into, you know, a broader world and then people, you know. So this is a very long question. <laughs> um, but I know that uh, I'm sure people are moved. I'm sure we're not the only two people in this world that have tears when you speak of your land. And I know that lots of non-Indigenous people, lots of settlers also feel these things and don't know what to do with those feelings. And so I'm just assuming that you are a bridge person as a person that's kind of translating across from the land and your people into the world, you know, in this collaboration that needs to happen of the redistribution of resources. Um, yeah, how do you see these relationships? So how do you see this role um, as we kind of need everyone to be part of this? But there's also all this damage that happens because people don't know how to relate or, or move towards something in a way that's not saviouring or centering the self. Um, yeah, again, massive question. Don't expect you to answer it um, in the next five minutes. But, yeah, just I guess I'm really wondering about the experience of people who, who are non-Indigenous that feel. Oh, wow, yeah, we should definitely continue this conversation um, on air sometime. <laughs> you know, I had this realisation recently, and I think it's a realisation that sits with Indigenous people everywhere, almost all of the time a lot has been stolen from me um colonization has has taken a lot from my life I do not have access to my lands in the way that my spirit requires I will most likely never speak my languages with the fluency that my spirit craves my children will continue the journey of return. But in my lifetime, what has been taken from me will not be in my arms. And I think that in these conversations around where do non-Indigenous people fit into this work, um, where, you know, this, this, this conversation of longing and belonging and, you know, we don't have the answers to these questions. And just as colonization has stolen something from me and I will not receive those things back in this lifetime. Colonization has stolen things from you and you will not receive those things back in this lifetime. But that doesn't mean that the work stops. And that doesn't mean that we don't keep moving towards justice because it's not about us as individuals. This is about a larger story and a larger process of finding justice and spiritual reciprocity across lifetimes. And so it's not we really have to remove the ego and the self from what our paths are because it's about more than us as individuals. I thank you so much. I, I kind of don't want to interrupt, but I'm also aware that it's nearly 8 o'clock and where on earth did this last hour go? Um, what comes to me is... And a Nesnan quote where she says, and the time came when the pain it took to stay tight in the bud was more painful than the risk it took to open. And what you're saying about the courage required, you know, it is time to move. Like I feel like so many people can feel it moving. 
and um, yeah, I, that in my language, my as my father has explained it to me, like the word for courage, manava, is also the word for the breath that you take into the belly before you do a scary thing. And so, yeah, that risk of budding, that risk of moving towards our liberation, our collective liberation, um, becomes more clear when people like you are bridging the way to what, and letting us know what we can do to stand with the land and stand with the people of the land. So I just want to say thank you so much <laughs> um, for sharing so much of your family and your land um, in this last hour. And um, for anyone at home listening, thank you for joining us um, and sending enormous strength to people everywhere this week, to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people everywhere this week. And to all the listeners, thank you in advance for joining this stunning um, resistance movement that you've invited us into. Thank you, Laniel. Thanks for having me, Leah. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>